Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. Well, welcome and thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to get to share with you today. Again, my name is Mike Yoder. I'm uh, the senior pastor along with my wife, Julie, and we're, uh, if you're a guest here, so we're so glad that, that you are here. Uh, now, some of you may not know that I'm, uh, I grew up right here in central Illinois in a small town of Arthur, which is uh, located just somewhere between uh, here in Champaign-Urbana and our Sullivan campus. Now, It'd be easy to describe my life there and just focus on you know, the endless corn and soybean fields, uh, the farmers gathering their harvest, uh, shops selling local produce and homemade goods, and, and, and really just this, uh, and, and the horse-drawn Amish buggies clip-clopping down the road, you know, this, this idea of a small town with a slower pace of life, kind of reminiscent of a different era. But that wasn't my experience at all. That's really just what the tourist brochures actually just want to tell you. And I think anybody from a small town would probably say, yeah, I kind of agree. That was, that's not really our experience. See, the fields, okay, they were endless. That's true. I'll give you that one. Uh, but the, those farmers that were, they were out there harvest, harvest is just one part of this endless cycle of really hard work that, is, uh, that, that farmers are having to go through. And those guys, they're up early. And I know because my parents ran like the local coffee shop and, and, and restaurant and they expected those doors open at like 5 a.m. because they had to get an early start to the endless cycle of work that is the business of running a farm. You know, my dad, he was often up before uh, I, I could even, I even woke up in the morning and he was off to, to help get that restaurant open. But then he, he would leave that to go to his other separate full-time job uh, that he had to go to. We often got uh, the meat for our meals from my, my uncle's meat shop, which was just down the road. New building and construction uh, often involved the concrete business of my best friend's dad, uh, plus the work of local contractors who were basically uh, neighbors. My, my first job was actually mowing and maintaining uh, these properties, uh, these various businesses and rentals that my family was involved in. And uh, in college, I came home in the summer and I worked at one of these family businesses on an assembly line getting early stage carpal tunnel from the endless cycle of repetitive work, committing to myself that I would stay in school. That was my motivation. I'm, I, I, this is not for me. This wasn't what I could do long term. But see, then on the weekends, I'd run into a lot of those people at church on Sunday. See, this, this, the worlds of community and faith and industry were this constantly intersecting tapestry uh, in my life, and, and they continue to be so to this day. And my, and my experience there helped me to see that it, it's people who make up the heart of our business communities. And sometimes we can think of things like, like business or industries in the marketplace, and, and, and we just look at them as this ethereal they, only looking to make a quick buck and uh, exploit helpless workers. And, you know, I'll be honest, I understand there are very real problems with organizations that have abused people, uh, our, our cities, and our natural environments in the name of profit. See, what happens when you, when you, when you take these guiding kingdom principles uh, and you separate them, from the work and leadership of organizations, you will see the kind of problems that I just described. And today we're gonna actually explore God's love and heart for business and our work. We're gonna look at questions like, does does God really care about the marketplace and industry? Does does my work actually make a a spiritual difference? 
Is, is there eternal significance to what I get to do? Can we actually live out our ministry calling as believers right where we work every single day? And can Holy Spirit partner with us right where we're at to impact the culture and destiny of our cities? Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we invite the Holy Spirit here today? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here, that you're our teacher, that you're guiding us, that you're showing us your heart for our cities and your heart for our work and business and industry. Thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, you know, no matter who you are or, or what we do, our life is intersecting with this world of business and industry. You know, from the clothes that we wear, the food that we eat, the, the banks that we use, uh, the phone in our pocket, or even the hobbies that we enjoy, we are a walking illustration that we rely on the marketplace to live our modern life. And in this message series, God of Our City, we're looking at God's heart for our city and how we are called as his people to understand and live out his heart in the different sectors of the society and culture that make up those communities. Today, we wanna focus on this idea of work and business or the marketplace. See, see, much of our life is actually spent at work. Did you know you'll spend about a third of your life at work? That comes out to around 90,000 hours. And if you are a stay-at-home parent or you work from home, you know, the business of managing your home is, is real. And I'm sorry to say it's probably a lot more than those 90,000 hours, actually. See, some of us are taking this kind of internal collective groan at the thought of spending that much of our time at work. So, and, and then we read in Genesis, which is, you know, the first book of the Bible, we read this story of Adam and Eve, and, and we learn that they chose to disobey God, and, and in so doing, they introduced sin into the human experience. And see, and one of the ramifications of that decision of, of sin entering the, that, that was this curse that made the work that we put our hands to more difficult and painful and filled with toiling. So what was so easy before now suddenly it's gonna become so hard and, and, and it's part of that curse. But many of us don't realize that Jesus actually has broken this curse and so we still live as if our work was cursed. And, and that comes out in, in a lot of different ways. It's things like, oh, we, we're hating our job. It's, it's filled with stress. You know, we yearn for a different job to fix the problems that we're experiencing right now that, that if we can just get over here, that'll fix it. And work is just seen as this, this necessary evil, but there's no joy in it because why would I find joy in something that's cursed? Uh, maybe we just choose to, it's not that important. We're just not gonna work that hard on it. Or, or on the flip side, we become a workaholic and suddenly our work is starting to carry more authority in our life than even Jesus. See, there's lots of messed up ideas and pictures about what work is and, and how we view it is so important because it impacts the way we live our daily life. See, the reality is that we were designed for work. We, we weren't created to be idle. See, we were, we were created in, in, in this image of a loving, hardworking God who instilled in us his very nature. In fact, this is the same God who, who after doing all the work of, of creating the universe, even he needed a day of rest. That's how hard of a worker he was. And, and even before the curse, we see that men and women were given tasks that would require action. And I'm gonna read here in that, that first book of the Bible, Genesis. This is Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And this is God's declaration of what he's creating humanity to be. And it says this, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. 
He made us reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. God blessed them. He said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air, for everything that moves on the face of earth. See, we're we're to reflect the nature of God. We're, We're to take this authority that we've given and this responsibility for everything on earth We're supposed to take that and understand God's design was for us to prosper, to reproduce, again, to fill the earth, taking charge, and we're called to be responsible. And see, in that responsibility, it requires action. That requires work. But work was cursed, right? But see, Jesus was not. And it was his work on the cross and the redemption that he brought, that brought a redemption to every single part of that curse, including our work. In fact, Galatians uh, 3, 13 through 14, it says it this way. It explains this idea of what what Jesus did uh, to break that curse. It says, yet Christ paid the full price to set us free from the curse of the law. He absorbed it completely. He became a curse in our place. Jesus, our Messiah, was cursed in our place. And in so doing, he dissolved the curse from our lives. See, we've been set free from this curse. We're a brand new creation. And in that new creation, work is no longer First, we get to live out that mandate that we see in Genesis 1 as we, as we partner with Jesus to see our work and career redeemed from the curse of sin. But see, we can't share God's view of work and marketplace without understanding his heart and his character. To do that, we have to actually understand how he wants to work in the world. And I'm going to read another scripture, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm jumping around to a lot of the scripture, but again, I'm trying to tie it together, this understanding of from the very beginning all the way through into this new creation mindset. What does that look like? And I want to read today from Ephesians 1, and 23, this idea of how God has put this in place, this new creation authority through Jesus. It says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. He has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. Remember that phrase, all things everywhere with himself. See, that Genesis 1 mandate was to, to fill the earth and take charge, and it continues now through Jesus filling the world with himself, including our work. And of course, that includes his spirit filling the world, but, but it also includes, just as importantly, that this idea that as he fills the world with himself, he fills it with his body. Who is his body? We are. The, the church is not a thing. It is a collection of his followers. It is us. He's filling the world with his body. See, God is the creator of industries. He's the birthplace of innovation, and he is the source of our success. So from marketplace to mop buckets and whatever we do, God is working to fill the world with himself through you. In his book, To Transform a City, author Eric Swanson says it this way. I thought this quote was so good. He says, we don't engage in the needs and dreams of our communities so that they will become Christians. Rather, we engage the community because we are Christians. We engage the community because we are are Christians. It's who we are. It is not something to be checked off our task list. See, carrying the Father's heart for our city means we're looking, we aren't looking for what we can get out of it. See, we're looking to help the city be the very best that it can be. And as Putty pointed out a few weeks ago in the first message of this series, the only way that we can see the kingdom change in our cities is to actually share God's heart for those cities. 
So I wanna share this uh, an illustration from the Bible that helps to kind of illustrate what we're talking about. It, this idea that what is the difference between operating as a new creation versus still operating under the curse? And, and how, do we, how does God, knowing God's heart for us and our work actually make a difference in the way that we live and work? And this is the, the parable of the talents is the, the story that I wanna read. And many of you may be familiar, but if not, uh, and you're not sure what a parable is, the parables uh, were the stories that Jesus used to illustrate how the kingdom was to play out on the earth, what he was releasing into the earth. And he wanted to help us understand it. And he used stories to do that. So this is taken from Matthew 25. Uh, we're gonna start in verses 14 to 15. It says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver to one and two bags of silver to another and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And he then left on his trip. Now, this story is just beginning, but it carries some great principles for understanding uh, what we're talking about today. So we often see God or Jesus illustrated as a land or business owner in these parables. And so the man who's entrusting his money in this case is Jesus. And, and Jesus, of course, he loves to give good gifts to us. And we can see here uh, that, that what's given can represent his abundant grace, his gifts, his talents, and of course, uh, his resources, abundant resources that we may have been given. But what we, what we do with those things that we're given is part of the legacy that Christ wants to leave as he fills the world with himself, just as it says in Ephesians. Now, all three servants are given this, this free gift, and he says he gives according to their abilities. And all, although the first one actually receives five times as much as, as the last, they were all given uh, significant sums of money. The, uh, the, the translation for the, the amount given is called a talent. A talent would be equivalent to about 20 years worth of wages. So five talents, the one that got the most, would have got about 100 years worth of labor. That's an astronomical sum of money. But, but what does that tell us about the father? Well, first it says that he's incredibly generous. See, we can stop focusing on comparing uh, ourselves to others and start focusing on what he's actually given us. See, we, we often miss this. We overvalue what others have given and we undervalue the things that we've been given. Don't view yourself or your gifts as less than how God sees them. We don't have more authority than the Father in our life. You can submit to him when he wants to give you good things. See, even that third servant who was just given one talent, again, that was about 20 years worth of labor. In today's dollars, that's nearly a million dollars. That shows some pretty incredible value on that servant by the master. Now, now, secondly, this isn't just money that can change a single life. It's money that can transform families and cities and generations to come. See, when God chooses to bless us, he isn't looking to make you the lottery winner with the, the fastest car and the biggest house. And, and to be clear, I don't care if you have the fastest car or the biggest house. I only ask that you invite me over and you let me drive. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious, invite me. I wanna drive it, it's, I just gotta try. See, it, it, it's, it's throughout the Bible when God pronounces blessing, it's, it's more than just the individual that he's blessing. He's always looking to bless through them beyond into the next generation, into their city, into their families. And it goes it's so much bigger. See, we're blessed to bring generational transformation. That's the kind of blessing we see in this parable. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna read through all of the rest of this parable for the sake of time. I'm just gonna summarize it a little bit. And as we read on, we see the master returns from his long trip. And of course, he wants to take account. What did they do with what they've been given? So the first servant who'd been given five, he says, master, you gave me five. 
I worked hard, I invested, uh, I partnered with this and I have five more, I've doubled what you've given me. And the master says, well done. You know what, I'll give you even more. Let's go and celebrate. And the second servant who, re- who received two bags, you know, he says the same, I, 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 you gave me two, I've doubled that investment, I've given, here's two more back. And the, and the master says, well done, I'll give you even more. Let's go and celebrate. And then the third servant comes and, and he immediately begins to make excuses uh, about how he kind of feared who the master was and he didn't want to do it. And so he, he picks up his bag, his dirty bag of silver that he'd buried in the ground. And he says, here, t- here, take this back. I didn't lose anything. Give, here, just, just take it back. And of course the master, he's, he's terribly disappointed uh, that, the, that this servant chose to do nothing with what he'd been given. And so he actually takes that and he gives it to the first servant, the one who'd received five. Why? Because he knew whatever he gave him he could trust that he was gonna steward it well. See, not only were those first two servants given life-changing gifts, they chose to partner with those gifts to see them multiplied. So the father, he's always about relationship. When he gives you a good gift, when he gives us gifts, it is never the end goal. It is always about relationship and partnership. He wants to connect us to his heart, and it's the beginning of this partnership that allows those gifts to be used to expand the kingdom as we do life with him in relationship. See, your work, your business, your craft, your career, whatever it is, it is a partnership with the Father to see transformation and favor poured out on our cities through you. See, but what about that servant who buried his gift? See, he, he, gave, he was given an incredible opportunity, but instead he, he chose to be fearful. He let his fear rule him. And so the problem was he was confused about who the master was. Read this in Matthew 25, 24. This is what the servant said about his master. He says, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. Let's just pause here for a moment. How, how many of you had that same attitude about your, your boss or your supervisor or your coworker? I mean, look at that fat cat over there taking credit for all the work that all these people are doing over here. They're doing the real work over here. But you know, guess what? That's actually what good management is supposed to do. Good delegation doesn't mean laziness. It, it means that, that it's an understanding that to do big tasks, it requires lots of coordination amongst a lot of different people. See, now, now on the flip side, managers and bosses who are here in the room today, see, you carry a really big responsibility. You have a responsibility to steward that authority that you've been given well. Because you have an incredible influence on the cultures of where people are working. And that means you have a lot of influence on a lot of different people. And as leaders, we leave a a trail behind us. And it's the good and the bad in us that's gonna be left behind. So steward well the leadership that you've been given. Now, Now, many of you might still be thinking, you know what? You don't know my boss or my coworker. They are a real piece of work. I mean, a few of you that may work here at the church might be thinking about, about me right now. Can you imagine even? Say no. Say no. Make them feel guilty. Now we'll, we'll move on from there. That'd be good. But how about instead of selling, telling someone, you don't, you don't know my boss or my coworker. I mean, uh, they're, just, they're the exception, you know? Why, why don't instead of, of, of seeing that, you decide to partner with the Holy Spirit and you be exceptional? See, what if you're the only kingdom that those people around you ever know? What's the story that your life is telling them? 
See, make, make the story of Jesus in your life irresistible and see then what kind of transformation can happen. I mean, what if the workforces of, of Champagne and Urbana and, and St. Joe and Muhammad and, and Arthur and Sullivan and, and, and every place that our church touches, what if, what if all of those places were experiencing that same exceptional multiplication and infiltration by Christ's body? See, he remember, he wants to fill all things everywhere with himself, with you. See, the third servant had such a skewed view of who the master was. And he let him resent and fear the very thing that was meant to promote him. See, we can't live in abundant partnership with somebody that we view as cruel and unfair. See, partnering with God takes risk. You know, there's that classic vineyard phrase we love to use here. And it's called, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Now, that's, that's about more than just praying for somebody and seeing healing. And, and that, that, that's part of it. But, but it's also about this idea that we're willing to be obedient to God's call and his favor and his giftings in our life, even if they're a little risky. So don't let fear rule you. Sometimes, sometimes we can spend so much time worrying about what we're gonna miss out on. We worry about uh, the promises of tomorrow so much, we forget we're actually laying the foundations of, those, of that promise today. Be faithful with what's in front of you. Let's be a people who are willing to take a risk that might just transform your life and the life of our city. And the end of the parable wraps up uh, with this verse that's just, it, it's so powerful. It's this, Matthew 25, 29 says this. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. Now, I, wanna, I wanna be clear. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you'll necessarily be rich. And if you heard the message last week, Leah pointed out that, that being rich or poor is about so much more than, than just resources. And regardless, uh, maybe you do or you will have lots of resources. This, this isn't about, it's not the prosperity gospel. The abundance of the Father comes in many forms. It comes in family and relationships and service and fulfillment. And yes, it does come sometimes in resources. Just make sure that you aren't looking for someone else's abundance when God's seeking to bless you. Don't overlook what he's given. I'm gonna, I wanna share another story that, that I think really helps bring together what we've been talking about today. And it's, it's this understanding that, that yes, our work was cursed, but Jesus has brought redemption to that. He's broken that curse and we are invited to partner with him uh, with what we've been given and we can choose to say yes to him and what he has for us. And this is a story from, from my hometown of Arthur and this is the story of Chris. He's a man who, who stewarded the deposit that God gave him. Chris was born in 1921 to Jacob and Anna, who were Amish dairy farmers. Chris, was a, he was a really bright child. He went to a one-room country school until he was in the sixth grade. And after that, uh, he had to drop out to help out on his family's farm, which was actually very common uh, in that day. And he would have probably been maybe 11 or 12. I, I have an 11-year-old at home. This, this is really young. I, I catch that. But see, Chris didn't actually see this as a weakness in his life. In fact, he was incredibly grateful for the education that he did receive. He, he was proud of it. And he was gifted with an incredible work ethic because growing up in the 1930s, it was really challenging. But, but he learned two things. Hard work was essential to survive and the Lord was faithful to provide. Now, he, he married his wife, Maddie, in 1942. They began to rent a farm and uh, they had three children by 1949. And they decided to take, take a first big risk. He said, we're gonna buy our own grain farm. We're gonna do this. Well, you know, farming at that time, it didn't bring in a lot of income. And, and to make sure that they could stay afloat, he had to take on extra things. So he, he began to think like an entrepreneur. 
begin to think differently. So instead of, in addition to farming, he did carpentry and dairy and gardening. Uh, they raised turkeys and chickens. <clears throat> he even had a gravel pit. And, and by 1953, when they had welcomed their fourth child, unfortunately, despite all of those things, things were really tight and they were at risk of losing the farm. But see, he trusted that if he was faithful in the little, if he was faithful to partner, that the Lord would provide. And thankfully, God did provide. And Route 45 was being expanded and they were able to take the, the gravel pit and sell gravel to that project and it was able to save the farm. See, he trusted even when it was tight, even when it was hard, he continued to trust. Now, both Chris and Maddie were, were faithful and active members of the Amish church, but in the mid-1950s, they felt the Lord, Lord calling them to actually leave, uh, leave that Amish church. And, and so th- this was a big deal. This, this was no small thing, but there was three motivations that, that Chris says he had. It was to send his children to Sunday school. He had a heart for missions, which he wasn't able to participate in. And he really wanted to farm with a tractor. I mean, can you blame him? Uh, yeah. But this was a big deal, and and after a lot of prayer and a lot of taking it to the Lord, they did decide to leave the Amish church and become Mennonites. But this was a big risk. If you don't understand this culture, this this had huge ramifications. They had to suffer through painful years of being separated and shunned by their families because of that decision. Because they were willing to say yes to God, they continued on. And they continued to be faithful, uh, and they continued to build their life. And then in 1967, uh, they decided to, to sell their farm and move on to something else. Again, another risk. See, Chris, he recognized that despite his lack of education, he'd been gifted with this business mind. Now, they'd never had much capital to actually partner with that until he was actually able to sell the farm, and suddenly that began to change. And so they began to invest in different businesses, and they started by by building small storage sheds and then selling those, and and that led them into this this area of construction where they built a company that began to, to build roofing trusses. And these small dreams that he had, this faithfulness he had, continued to multiply over the next 30 years. And steadily, Chris and Maddie went on to build a healthy corporation, owning multiple businesses, uh, rental properties, a furniture store, uh, a restaurant, even more, becoming more successful than I think he ever thought that he would be. But all along, he never forgot those humble beginnings. He remembered how hard it was to get started, the risks that he had to take. And so he stayed committed to hard work and to generosity. In fact, there's many stories of many times where he helped people and nobody even realized that he had done it. But he understood he was blessed to be a blessing. See, Chris understood the kingdom principle of stewardship. He knew that everything he did have was from the Lord and he chose to partner with him over and over again. He took a humble sixth grade education and he did more than most people will do with even advanced degrees. See, maybe you're struggling with and feeling your lack of education is holding you back, that you'll never be able to to fill God's call on your life because of that. But I'm here to tell you that God is the God of the impossible. The kingdom, it's it's inside out. It it, it seems backwards. It's upside down at times. But understand this, the Lord is in the business of multiplying your gifts, your talents, and your skills. Be obedient to the call he has on your life. Now, in 1993, Chris had the opportunity to buy a garage door company that had been started with, by an Amish man but, who had vision, but they didn't have any capital. So Chris came in, he bought the company, and it, and it began to do well. But this would be his last major business decision, one that would have an incredible impact on so much more than his family. See, Chris received these talents the Lord gave him. He didn't bury them in the ground. Rather, he chose to partner with them. And through investment and hard work, he saw the principles of Matthew 25, 29 play out in his life. To those who use well what they're given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. 
See, Chris responded to the God-given talents by faithfully partnering with them to advance the kingdom, and he impacted his family and his community. Now, Chris went to be with the Lord in 1997, and I have no doubt he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's go and celebrate. But when he died, he, he knew that his company was doing well, but see, the kingdom multiplication process was at work, and one of his companies would multiply by like 1,000%. And it would change the course of his family's life forever. See, he not only impacted his family, his neighbor, and his close friends, but also his community. Somewhere between 12 to 1,500 jobs in the Arthur area can be attributed back to the legacy of Chris. See, his legacy is still leaving that lasting generational impact on that community today. You see, the most important thing to Chris was his family. And in 1998, one of Chris's grandsons began attending the vineyard with his new wife. Several years later, some of his children and grandchildren also began to attend, and eventually his widow, Maddie, would call this place home too. And in 2009, a large portion of his family would help to start the Sullivan campus that we know today. And just this year, his grandson would become the senior pastor, along with his wife, Julie. As I'm sure you've guessed, this is the story of my grandfather, Chris Helmuth. And today, six of his kids, 11 of his grandkids, 21 of his great-grandchildren, and two of his great-grandchildren call this place home. See, and more than that, that, many of his former friends, his neighbors, his coworkers, employees, partners, they also call this church home. And they have and are deeply impacting many of our communities and businesses and, of course, this church through their vision, their leadership, and generosity. See, Chris said yes to his inheritance. He said yes to take his portion, a sixth grade education, and multiply it over and over again. See, God is looking to partner with you to see generational blessings poured out through you in your life, your work, and your family. And the kingdom is so much bigger than just one person or one church or one business. See, we have to understand that just as our church is not defined by its location, but we are assigned to our location, so too you are not defined by your location, but you are assigned to it. So we're making this shift of understanding that we're not just building a church, we're building a city. In the same way, are you just building your business, your workplace, or your career for the sake of it, or are you also learning to build the city and partner? So you have a bigger purpose and calling, no matter if you're leading the organization or if you're just starting out in an entry-level position, we are called, our work matters because our life matters. So what does your life, your work, and your attitude tell others about the kingdom? What's the story that your life is telling the world? We're going to pause here and, and dismiss our Sullivan campus. They're celebrating baptisms today, and they're going to do their own co- local community connection at this time. And so we bless you guys to go. I'm excited you guys get to hear from another of Chris's grandsons, my brother Chad, uh, who's actually uh, going to share from his experience in the business realm as well. And so we're excited for all those and excited for the baptisms that you guys are celebrating today. Would you pray with me as we close this part? Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that you are so faithful to partner with us in everything that we do, God. That whatever you give us, you are faithful to help us work it out and partner with us to see it multiplied. To see us be a blessing to everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, during this series, we have been interviewing different people from the different areas uh, that we've been highlighting in, in, the sermon, in the sermon series. And I had the privilege uh, this last few weeks to interview uh, local business owner, Tim Hare. Now, many of you may know Tim. He's been a faithful part and generous part of our, biz, our, of our church for over 35 years. He is the brother to our founding, one of our founding pastors, Diane Lehman. And currently, he's the founder and CEO of Sarah Venture, a venture capital firm that's located and headquartered right here in Champaign, Illinois. And now, uh, in addition to being connected because of, because of family, I, I had my career actually intersected with Tim uh, a number of years back when I came to work in the University of Illinois Research Park at a biotechnology firm called Eyesight, uh, where Tim was the CEO. And, 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 I, and I loved that opportunity to see Tim in that environment because I got to see he, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. It's part of truly who he is, and he has a passion to see us live out our destinies uh, in our work and career. And so we're going to watch this, uh, this video just really quickly. We're not going to watch the whole interview, but I wanted you to catch the, the conclusion of the interview where Tim had such a powerful encouragement that I think is relevant to all of us. So would you turn your attention to the screens now? Well, as, as we're closing here, I just want to give you an opportunity. Uh, what, what would you say to encourage, you know, our church community from a business leader's perspective, somebody who's living in the way, in the place that you are, who sees so much, what would you say to encourage our church community from your perspective? Yeah, I'd say, no. number one, know that your work matters to God. Uh, your work itself is part of the plan that I, I call setting things right. And there's that, that phrase is used throughout all of Scripture. From the very beginning, uh, historical books, it's, it's woven through the prophets and through the Psalms and Proverbs. It's certainly in the New Testament, this, this idea that the world is broken and God is setting things right. God is using you in your work to set things right. So know that your work uh, matters to God, number one. Uh, number two, know that God is always at work at work. Uh, oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so we forget that sometimes. He is at work at work. That's really good. Uh, you know, so keep your eyes and your ears peeled. Uh, now, most of it's going to be very practical, you know, just doing your job, again, as we said earlier, with excellence, with mm -hmm. care for others, with a smile, with diligence, just showing up as opposed to, you know, not. Those are really, really practical <laughs> kind things. Kind of important. That's yeah. right. Now, God may throw in some God stops. There may be awesome moments to pray with someone or to, uh, you know, lead somebody to Christ. Uh, my, my good buddy David Hodge actually had that opportunity just last week. Oh, wow. Th those are very cool God moments. Yeah. Most of work probably isn't going to be that tantalizing and exciting where, you know, it, it appears something miraculous or amazing is happening, but yet God truly is at work in right. all of those other ways. And then, you know, finally, I just say, remember that the creation mandate from Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is still operating. And that's where God uh, uh, basically said... Hey, Adam and Eve, the, the earth is yours. Now go and uh, the King James language says subdue it. I like what Eugene Peterson in the message says to go and take charge. Mm. So take charge of the creation in a godly way. Steward the opportunity that you have to take some slice of creation and do with it as God would do. That that. That mandate, you know, from thousands of years ago is still our mandate. That's what we're doing in our work. We're yeah. taking charge of some piece, whether it's big, medium, or, or really tiny. <laughs> doesn't make a difference, but know that, that that is still happening, and it's across all kinds of, of jobs. Uh, uh, you know, does, again, as, as we've explained here, uh, can be any, any kind of a position, so to speak, but know uh, that your calling is important to the fulfillment of, of that mandate. 
Such an awesome just exhortation and encouragement. Yes, thank you, Tim, for your wisdom. Thank you for sharing. And I encourage you, listen to the rest of that interview. Uh, you can find it. Uh, we'll, we'll make it accessible as a podcast because that's how I love uh, to actually listen and, and consume and take things in. It's got so much wisdom to share. Uh, and that you can find it in the same places that we have our messages on our website. Uh, and we'll share it on social media as well so that you can make sure that you can access that. Now, if you're an entrepreneur here and you're looking to net connect with others like you, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our Kingdom Entrepreneur Ministry, uh, which seeks to bring business leaders together from around our community to share kingdom lessons and Holy Spirit encouragement. If you're interested in that, I encourage you to check it out at Sign Up Central. We'll have a representative there uh, who can give you more information, uh, or you can contact Brandon Henderson, and he can also help you uh, get more information. They always meet the first Tuesday, uh, the second Tuesday of every month. So uh, get up more information at Sign Up Central. Now, we're going to move into a time of worship, and I'm going to ask you to just go ahead and stand right now. And as we do this, I want you to reflect and consider in your life right now, where is God speaking to you? Where are places in your life where, where you're still operating that is if they're under that curse? Is there a place in your life where you're still walking out that, that place of discouragement and toiling? I encourage you to take it to the Father, give it over to him as we worship. Worship is so beautiful in that it takes us right to the throne of God. It puts us in his presence and anything is possible in God's presence. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.